Hi everyone, Sophia here. Just wanted to pop in and let you know that this episode is a re-release of our King Salmon episode, which we originally aired on September 23rd. It's been a super busy time. Olivia finished her undergrad degree, drove back to Edmonton from Whitehorse, and is moving out to Ontario all in the span of about a week. So we thought this would be a good time to bring back one of our old episodes and just give her time to focus on all of the big life changes happening for her. So we hope you enjoy this one. It's quite a conservation-focused story that was really interesting to research, and it's definitely a topic that I care about a lot. And of course, we'll be back next week with a new episode that we're really, really excited about. So we'll catch you then. Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Olivia de Bercier. And I'm Sophia Osborne. And this week, we're going to be telling you all about the king salmon, a fish that only appears in September in the game. So right now, we are recording at Sophia's house in the Gulf Islands right now, which is really exciting because I'm normally in Edmonton, and we this is the first time we've actually been able to record an episode in person with each other. So that's nice. Yeah, it's really exciting. Plus, it feels really fitting to be talking about the king salmon because they are a regular visitor to this area. Yeah, and the West Coast salmon and like orca are definitely a very big topic of conversation and everyone is kind of aware of them in the ecosystem here. So yeah, very, very cool animal. And uh, yeah, it's really nice to be here with Olivia. And we're just working on putting finishing touches on our merch store and that kind of thing. So stay tuned for more of that. It's going to be really exciting. So let's get on with the salmon here. So if you bring a king salmon to Blathers, he'll say, the king salmon didn't get its name from nothing. This stately fish can weigh in at up to 130 pounds. It's clear why it's referred to as the king of the salmon. I imagine even the mightiest net can catch no more than a few at a time. I must say it's a miracle to me that you didn't get dragged out to sea by this one. What? <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I don't know some of the like Animal Crossing expressions. I don't. I don't know who wrote them. They're very unique. <laughs> yeah, they're. They are. Like, They're a little strange. It's funny that it's not a hoot, but It's okay. a what? Yeah. Oh, also, I guess first I should say that I'm going to be talking about the king salmon. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> which is kind of, if you've listened to other episodes, usually Olivia kind of will actually do the diving deeper into things. But I'm, yeah, I'm talking about the king salmon today because, just because this sort of issues with salmon and killer whales and everything is a beat that I'm on a lot journalistically. Mm -hmm. And uh, like you have, you, you like live where you often have whales coming by and like it's a very big part of your life and your day-to-day -day experience as like a resident of BC on the west coast. Mm -hmm, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I also wanted to say that the king salmon has a few different names that you might be more familiar with. So for me, the name I hear most often is Chinook. So I'll probably be calling them Chinook in this episode. But I also often hear them referred to as spring salmon. And there are some other names as well. I think Thai salmon, etc. So yeah, you might have heard of them under a different name. 
And I also wanted to kind of talk about how Animal Crossing does such a good job <laughs> of mimicking the real-life cycles of the Chinook. So in the game, if you've been playing throughout September, you might have noticed that you find the king salmon in the ocean between the 1st and 15th of September. But then after the 15th, you'll find them in the river. And then they're gone at the end of September. So I think that's really interesting. It represents how the Chinooks spend most of their lives in the ocean, but then they return to the rivers to spawn. So yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't notice that myself in the game. And we're going to get into their life cycles a bit and conservation as well, because that's a really huge issue with Chinook. But first, what do they look like? Yeah, so like Blathers said, they really are the kings and queens of the salmon world. The Chinook salmon is the largest of all the Pacific salmon species. And the adults can be up to 58 inches long and weigh up to 130 pounds, like Blathers said, which is huge. But nowadays, the average size is more like 30 inches, 30 pounds. And yeah, they just really don't get as big anymore very often. So I'm going to be talking a bit about why that is in a in a little bit here. But just in terms of what they look like, I don't think they're super remarkable to me. <laughs> um, they, they look like salmon, so they're mostly silver, but then on their back they'll have some green, blue, red or purple coloring and little black spots. And then they do change when they're spawning. They can become a deeper color, like a deep red or black. And I think that's kind of the more iconic Chinook salmon look. Yeah, and I, I know when I've seen pictures, they look kind of like really buff salmon, just like on steroids. They're very buff. Like, yeah. And yeah, like I said, they can be huge. Mm-hmm. And so where can you find Chinook? Yeah, so... I think we definitely associate them with the Pacific Northwest, so like from California up to Alaska, which is their range here in North America, but they can also be found in Japan and Russia, which I didn't know. And I also read that humans have introduced Chinook into other bodies of water, like the Great Lakes, to control like other invasive species. Which humans always do, and like this is such a huge issue. I feel like I hear about that happening a lot in Canada. They're like they like they just keep adding more and more <laughs> invasive species to control other invasive species. Oh my god, what a mess. And the other interesting thing is some Chinook have escaped from fisheries in South America and colonized rivers there. So now they also can be found there. What? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that also more things I didn't know about salmon. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So they can be found in freshwater and oceans. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah. So I don't know if this is just my experience or if other people maybe who live on the West Coast have had this experience too, but when I was in elementary school in Vancouver, we learned about salmon life cycles like every year, like it's a really big deal. And yeah, I remember all the posters in the classroom like showing us, you know, the fry and the eggs and all these things. And then we also had this one teacher and I had him for grade three and four. And both years, we raised salmon in his classroom. What? So he, we had, like, a huge tank. And we'd all get our own, like, a few eggs. And then we'd oh watch God. them, like, grow into fry. And then once they, yeah, once they were fry, we released them in a little river near. That's so Yeah, cute. like, in a stream. Okay, that's definitely a Vancouver thing. Because I, I think we did, like, butterflies. And we talked a lot about frogs. But we didn't even raise frogs. Yeah. So. 
No, that was fun. Shout out to Mr. Thorpe. <laughs> he was a great teacher. But yeah, so Chinook salmon are anadromous, which is a fancy word meaning that they're born in freshwater streams and then they move into estuaries as juveniles. So that's the really rich area between the rivers and oceans. And then they move into the ocean for adulthood. And I should also say that young Chinook eat insects and small crustaceans and adult Chinook eat other fish. So then once the salmon reach maturity, which usually takes three to seven years, they start to migrate back to the stream where they were born to lay their eggs. They can be really far away at this point, so it can be a really long journey back and they'll expend a lot of energy making this migration. And then once they arrive, they'll pair up with another Chinook to mate and the female will deposit thousands of eggs and the male will release his sperm and it will like cover the eggs in the stream. It's very, very romantic. (laughs) (laughs) But then interestingly, the parents just hover over the eggs in the stream as they develop to guard them from predators. But because the salmon spend so much energy to come from the ocean all the way back to the spawning grounds, they'll die there in that stream and they won't even see the eggs hatch. So these spawning events are actually really important for forest ecosystems because larger animals like bears and wolves will bring these dead salmon onto land to eat them and then what's left over will decompose and feed the trees Mm -hmm. so you actually have like this really important sort of fertilizer from the salmon being brought up onto land and yeah it becomes really integrated into the whole forest ecosystem that way yeah absolutely i went up to alaska to see the salmon run last november and so it was kind of the end of the the salmon run it was like the latecomers coming in And it was really kind of grim, but also like fascinating because these Chinook, or I actually can't remember if it was Chinook, but it was some kind of salmon. They were like decomposing as they swam. Like like they were obviously like almost zombies, like their, their skin was like falling apart, but they were like still mating and there were just eagles everywhere. Like I could not believe, like they were like seagulls or, or gulls just like all along the sides of the river eating all these salmon and there were just salmon bones everywhere like and yeah you could walk really far from the river and still find all of these bones and all of these like carcasses and fish heads so yeah it's it's a pretty amazing thing to see and the sheer quantity of fish is pretty amazing too so super important for the ecosystem and yeah there were like bears around and stuff so it's pretty amazing and that's happening in a lot of places in the world that's so cool that incredible experience it was it was a really cool experience it was like more depressing than i thought it would be like because i feel like in bbc earth you see these really dramatic beautiful shots of the salmon run but it doesn't really look like that but it's still like super important and still really special in its own way Mm-hmm. It's just a little darker than I expected. Yeah, I I really want to talk more about their importance before we get into the threats that they face and sort of their conservation issues because I think it's really vital that we emphasize how important these Chinook are to West Coast ecosystems and how losing them is so catastrophic. Mm-hmm. So here in the Pacific Northwest, Chinook salmon are what's called a keystone species. So if you haven't heard that term before, it basically means that this is a species that's doing a lot to support the ecosystem. And it's like in an archway, you have this keystone that's in the middle. And if you remove that from the archway, the whole thing will collapse. 
So why are Chinook so important? Like we talked about, a lot of the charismatic megafauna that we care about a lot, or at least like we think about a lot, like bears, eagles, wolves, orca, seals, those kinds of things, those depend a lot on Chinook. And I want to talk a bit specifically about why the Chinook are so important to the southern resident killer whales, which I've mentioned before on this podcast. And they are the whales that we see come by quite a lot here on Saturna, or at least we used to. So yeah, the the southern residents are an ecotype of killer whale that lives along the west coast, sometimes as far north as Alaska and as far south as California, which you'll notice is the same range as the Chinook. And yeah, where they go is determined by the Chinook because they pretty much only eat Chinook salmon, which is really interesting. They're very specific about that. So they will sometimes eat other types of salmon if they have to, but Chinook is their like quote unquote favorite food. And it's really interesting the way that they've evolved this dependence on Chinook. And it goes back to what I said in the beginning, that Chinook are the biggest salmon you can find here on the coast. So these killer whales are, you know, they're big animals, they're expending a lot of energy, they need a lot of energy. And the Chinook, they used to be huge and plentiful, so they could provide so much energy. And they used to have these runs up and down the coast all year from California to Alaska. So you'd have populations of Chinook returning to their rivers every single month of the year. I feel like we have this idea that, oh, runs are just in the spring or in the fall, but no, they happen. They used to happen every single season and they were always available. So the Southern residents knew where they would be and they'd follow them up and down the coast. And out of all of the Pacific salmon, Chinook get to be the biggest size and the oldest ages. And because these Chinook were so big, they were really able to fuel the killer whales. So you may have heard of the Southern residents in the news, and if you have, it's probably because they're extremely critically endangered. So there are only 73 of them left, and up until this summer there were only 72, but there was just a new calf that was born this summer, which is exciting. But yeah, the Southern residents don't interbreed with other ecotypes, so at this point their sort of gene pool is really small, and they're just in very dire straits. Yeah, at this point, the chance of them going extinct is unfortunately really high. There are a few different reasons that the southern residents are so endangered. One is underwater noise pollution, which I talk about a lot, and and we just talk about on the coast a lot in general. So you have all these huge cargo ships and ferries here that produce a lot of underwater noise. But you've also got things like whale watching boats and recreational boats as well that are in the southern residents' critical habitat. And that makes it really difficult for them to find prey or communicate with each other because killer whales actually use echolocation. So it's basically like, sometimes people say, oh, it's like you're in a crowded bar and you're trying to talk to your friend, but you can't because it's really loud. But it's not even like that. It's like, it's like you're blind, yeah. More. Like you're in a crowded bar and you're trying to find your friend or or some food, mm-hmm. but you're blind. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge issue. And then there are also issues with climate change impacting their habitat and the uh, accumulation of toxins. But probably the biggest reason why they're so endangered is because they're just literally starving. And that's because the number of Chinook salmon has been in decline for a long time. And I think, interestingly, people don't talk about this very much, but the timing of their runs has drastically changed. 
So it's not just that there's fewer salmon, but they're also just available a lot less than they used to be. So yeah, like I said before, it used to be that the southern residents could find Chinook at any time of the year, but now there are a lot fewer and smaller runs. So for example, in the Fraser River, which is near where I live in Vancouver, historically the Chinook would have returned to the Fraser in large waves of runs from early March up until October. And like, this is, it's pretty much just constant runs for that entire half of the year. So the Southern residents used to be around here all the time because of those runs. But recently, there have been almost no Chinook that have showed up in the Fraser River before June. And if you look at like, there's a really interesting graph of this that I've seen. Those runs in the summer now are much, much smaller than they used to be. So we just don't really see the Southern residents here as much as we used to. And that's because they go where the food is and it's not here anymore. And like I said, the other aspect of this issue is the decrease in the age and size of the salmon that do run here. So Chinook used to reach ages up to seven years old, but today the number of older Chinook has really declined. And this is an issue because Southern residents usually wait until Chinook have grown to 70 centimeters or around 25 inches before they start to feed on them but we really don't see these ages and sizes that often anymore. And we really don't get those like 100 pound fish. Like even a 50 pound Chinook these days is considered quite rare. And so, I mean, we've talked about, yeah, there's just less in general. And so what is that major factor affecting the Chinook abundance? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this doesn't get talked about a lot. Like we just talk about it on the kind of highest level in terms of the ecosystem. Like, oh, the southern residents are dying and that's because there's fewer Chinook. But we really need to talk about why there are fewer Chinook if we want to solve this problem, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I do have to say that some populations of Chinook are still really healthy, particularly in Alaska. And then up and down the coast, you have some populations that are threatened and others that are endangered, like the ones in the Fraser River that I just talked about. So the ones that are endangered, I mean, this is for a variety of reasons. One is, of course, overfishing. You can't really talk about like fish without talking about overfishing. Mm -hmm. I saw a stat that from 1975 to 2010, almost 20 million Chinook have been harvested for commercial sport or subsistence and ceremonial fisheries, but I assume most of it is commercial yeah. sport. <laughs> um, I mean, and that's just 1975 to 2010. We didn't really keep very good records kind of before like the mm-hmm. 70s and 80s. But I mean, think about when the colonizers first came over here and how much they harvested, right? Yeah. yeah another big issue is habitat change and the development of these waterways that are so important to the Chinook. So I kind of wanted to talk about like a current events example that's happening here in Vancouver. If you're looking at the Fraser River, there's a lot of debate around the Canadian government's plan to double the size of the port in the mouth of the Fraser River. And a federal review panel said that it would have significant adverse and cumulative effects on ocean-type juvenile Chinook salmon originating from the Lower Fraser and South Thompson Rivers. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know what cumulative effects mean, it basically means the added effects of adding the port in addition to all the other effects that would be associated with that. So definitely a big problem on top of everything else they're facing. I mean, this is a huge issue because this Fraser estuary is critical for the survival of the Chinook. They rely on the shallow, low salinity waters of the Fraser estuary when they're juveniles and they're feeding and growing. So 
all up and down the coast, these types of large infrastructure projects like ports, ferry terminals, dams, they can all really affect the critical habitat of the Chinook. But of course, for the way our world works, these kinds of projects are really important. So like, it's a huge battleground, Mm -hmm. basically. Like coming from Alberta, this is like, oh boy, is this ever a big issue? Like, I mean, the Albertans really want to sell their oil and they really wanted to build this pipeline down to, yeah, that port. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the opposition was, well, if you're bringing all this oil down, you're going to have so many more shipping activity in the area. And also you're like delivering oil, which is really risky and politically charged anyway. So yeah, yeah, absolutely massive. Like these salmon are caught in the middle of a really fraught political problem, an environmental problem. Definitely. And then the southern resident killer whales as well. I mean, they're kind of now become the spokespeople for the opposition to these kinds of projects. Yeah. Because of how it would affect them, but also how it would affect the Chinook and how that would affect them. But also, like, how that affects, like, all the people in the area, too, in particular, like, indigenous people and how yeah. that, like, Chinook are so, or, like, salmon in general are so tightly tied to a lot of the coastal cultures and it's really affected them. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's something that we should probably be talking about more. Yeah. But there's, yeah, there's a lot here with sports fishing, commercial fishing, all these infrastructure projects, indigenous issues, like, there's a lot here. Yeah, this is, like, a whole course worth of information. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. I kind of didn't realize this before, but there's a lot out there about how climate change is affecting Chinook and will continue to affect them more and more. And there's lots of reasons for this. So you've got your loss of snowpack and your shrinking glaciers, which mean reduced stream flows in summer and fall, which makes it difficult for returning salmon to reach spawning grounds and for juvenile fish to reach the ocean. And climate change will also mean warmer waters, which can make salmon more susceptible to predators, parasites, and diseases. And they sort of, they have a range of water temperature that they prefer, I guess. I don't know, mm-hmm. prefer is probably not the right word. That they can survive in. Yeah, yeah, and so we actually see these massive fish kills if um, above like 22 degrees Celsius or like 71.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And then forest fires, which Ooh. is something that is very relevant to talk about right now when we're recording this, because you've got these huge wildfires raging in the U.S., And that smoke is coming up into Canada as well. And Olivia and I are basically um, choking on the Yeah, our throats really hurt. (laughs) Yeah, and like we just can't go outside. And yeah. um, yeah. But yeah, these intense forest fires can completely burn out root systems and contribute to erosion of nearby rivers, which affects the salmon that use those rivers. And then you've got severe storms and floods, which (laughs) (laughs) like which can wash away salmon eggs And it can even, like, scour away the gravel spawning beds where they Mm -hmm. lay their eggs and can also wash toxic materials into rivers. It's like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's just so sad because it's like, you know, we talked about all these issues that the salmon are facing now. And then imagine just adding all of these issues on Uh. top of it. And then, yeah, there's also ocean acidification because carbon dioxide is making the oceans more acidic. Acidic water can dissolve the shells of tiny mollusks, which the juvenile North Pacific salmon feed on. Mm-hmm. And then there's also sea level rise, oh boy. which can <laughs> um, 
inundate low-lying estuaries, which is a critical habitat, as we talked about. So, yeah, that's all really depressing. So that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have um, fun with the rest of your day. <laughs> I didn't even, like, we didn't even get into, like, salmon hatcheries and fisheries. Yeah. Oh, which God. <laughs> a huge can of worms as well, God. and it can be a big issue. So, yeah, they're facing a lot of issues. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, you thought you were coming in for a cute episode on salmon, and boy, we got some news for you. Yeah, this is, let this be a wake-up call, but... In contrast to kind of the monarch butterfly, it feels like there's not a ton you can personally do. Yeah. These are really high-level government decisions that need to be made Mm -hmm. around these kinds of infrastructure projects or mitigating the effects of climate change. But I did want to kind of just talk about at least what you should maybe push for. Yeah. In terms of, (laughs) like, what could help salmon. Mm -hmm. So... One important thing is restoring rivers and estuaries by removing unnecessary barriers and addressing the root causes of land use problems. So, yeah, I mean, that would be nice if we could do that. I hope hope they'll listen to us. Yeah. Also protecting parks and these sorts of like wilderness and conservation kind of areas to just help save the best remaining habitat for salmon. And yeah, improvements to forestry and farming practices to help minimize the impact of climate change on rivers. And um, we didn't even talk about fisheries, but improving fisheries management mm-hmm. would be great. Because, yeah, we need to do things like maintain genetic diversity in these populations. And, like I said, anticipating the impacts that climate change will have and trying to get on top of it, get in front of it, and mitigate those impacts. I think it's going to be a big mm-hmm. thing going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Like... Oh, man, look at these solutions. They are very, like, large scale. But, I mean, that's the reality of environmentalism. And, I don't know, I I love that we've been able to talk about really light stuff on this podcast. But, like, at the same time, a lot of the time when we're talking about conservation, it's not just, like, you know, I remember back at the zoo, I would always try and have, like, conservation messaging for people about fish, like, protecting seals. And it was always, like, you know, be careful that you're buying sustainable, like, sustainably fished fish at the grocery store and that can help. But, like realistically, you know, there there are some really major societal changes that need to happen in order to have long-term conservation of these species. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I think it's something that we definitely have to talk about because both Sophie and I are very passionate about that. And that's why we're in the fields that we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's lots that you can read about this. We'll make yeah, sure Yeah, like if some. you're interested, like there's just so much information out there and a lot of organizations pushing for a lot of these solutions and like I definitely encourage you to like if we can maybe link some indigenous resources too because both Sophie and I want to make sure that you know when we are talking about indigenous issues we're doing so in a well-researched way and so it might be better for us to share those resources with you because we're not indigenous ourselves so we aren't fully 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 educated on on how that affects particular indigenous communities differently yeah so No, I think that would be great. Fish aren't the most glamorous, but I think it's cool that Animal Crossing sort of features them so prominently and that we can talk about them. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thanks, Sophia, for that amazing... I learned so much, and I thought I knew, like, a decent amount about salmon, but apparently not that much. 
So thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. We're really excited to be back and excited for everything that's going to, that we're going to do in the future of Beyond Blathers. We've had a lot of support and we're really thankful for it. If you're a new listener, don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Beyond Blathers on Instagram and Twitter for updates. And tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye! Bye!